Good morning, Zinger Nation. Welcome to Benzinga's pre-market prep, the first pre-market prep of 2024. Not the best way to start the year in terms of the market, uh, but I got my man Dennis Dick hanging out backstage with me. We're going to talk about what's going on macro, some of these downgrades and upgrades going on, why the market is trading down today. Joel will not be with us today. I think he's uh, he's probably recovering from celebrating that Michigan win last night, but Without further ado, let's go ahead and start the show. And when I come back, Dennis and I will be breaking down top headlines on Wall Street. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. With your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. All right, Dennis, good morning. How you doing? AB, what's going on? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Happy New Year to everyone out there tuning in. The people still filing in. Good morning. First trading day of the year, and uh, not not great for the Bulls so far, Dennis. Def- definitely um, not quiet here this morning. We know when January comes around that the markets start moving, the analysts start waking up, and we've been talking about the potential for a January effect, where maybe you get some profit-taking in some of your leaders. This is the earliest January effect I think I've ever seen because, man, you come in, we haven't had a serious down day really for uh, since they had that you know zero DTE thing they explained on it four or five days ago. But bang, boom, come in, market's getting hit pretty hard. Does it continue? Is this a dip to buy? Well, those questions are to be answered here momentarily. We'll work, obviously, with everyone in the chat to try to figure out those answers here for you. But, uh, chat, happy new year to you. Um, I don't know, AB. Uh, interesting morning. Yeah, I wonder, did they, did they forget it's a, it's an election year? Because like all the talk was, oh, the market never goes down in an election year. Powell's going to pump the market in the election year. And and I don't know, maybe, they're, maybe they forgot it's supposed to be everyone was bullish on that. But, uh, you know, I was thinking earlier, Dennis, people might, traders, institutions, firms, et cetera, might see, hey, the market was up S&P 500 25% last year. The NASDAQ was up 44% uh, last year. Maybe, you know, just some uh, profit taking at the first of the year. But, um, you know, like you said, things starting to perk up. I think people are, you know, back from the holidays, back ready to to be trading. And, you know, looking at the two minute chart from from here on SPY, maybe catching a little bit of a bounce here. I mean, not, you know, if you're if you're if there might be some people out there trying to buy the dip. But, uh, yeah, I mean, not looking great down now about three tenths of a percent on the S&P free market. Going over to uh, to tech, showing some weakness as well. Uh, we did get some some pretty big downgrades in the tech space. Barclays with a big downgrade of Apple, which is uh, getting yeah. hit on that news, uh, down about a half a percent. Which, I mean, it, it, if if you don't know, Apple, any big move in Apple will basically move the entire market. It's the biggest weighting in SPY. It's the biggest company in the world. So. Um, you know, that will definitely be one to watch today to, to see if people go out and try to buy this dip on Apple because Apple, I mean, let's go to the daily chart has been just exceptionally strong. Um, but the past couple of weeks, st- 
starting to turn over a little bit. So I don't, I'm almost, yeah. I mean, D Dennis, is this like worrisome to you? Like, would you be looking at Apple yeah. potentially, uh, you know, if this falls, if this, it, you know, just starts coming down a, a lot harder, that could be bad for the overall market? Yeah, well, I think it's worrisome. What's worrisome really in the Magnificent Seven is the Magnificent Seven hasn't been participating really for the last couple of weeks. It has stalled. It stalled in the back part of December. Santa Claus came to town for the IWM, although they had the little rug pull there uh, on, uh, on uh, Friday's trade. But overall, Santa Claus, pretty good to a lot of smaller stocks, the beaten down names, those rallied. But if we've been talking about this on pre-market prep is that Really, Apple's gone nowhere in the entire month of December, uh, in, really for the last three weeks. Microsoft, same story, just kind of hanging out, doing a hell of a lot of nothing. NVIDIA kind of hanging out, doing a hell of a lot of nothing. I mean, just going through these, and we went through these on Friday with you. Amazon really just stalled out too. And every a lot of people thinking maybe this needs, you know, like we get to that calendar turn, you know, everybody's going to be bullish. These stocks are going to go. But we, what we've been concerned about, we've been talking about this, non-stop for the last couple of weeks is the january effect and what that is and what it is for me and some people define a january effect differently but what i'm talking about is the leadership tends to lag the first couple of weeks of january because what you have is profit taking coming in people who are sitting on big gains don't want to take them in 2023 because you know you got to pay that tax right away they may push those into 2024 so now you can take these and you don't have to pay this tax until 2025 so I think you're clearly seeing some profit taking here this morning, but getting to the analyst ratings here, there is some bearishness out there. They're coming out, waking up from their slumber. This week, AB, is typically one of your biggest weeks of the year for analysts because, heck, they've been on vacation. They're coming out. They're trying in early January to get their new price targets out there, to get their top picks out there. So you look here and you've got a couple of bearish analysts coming out, which is really hitting this market this morning. Piper multiple downgrades to underweight and then the one that you were just talking about is barclays they are downgrading apple to underweight lowering their price target to 160 everybody is taking note apple is now down two percent i know you said it was a half a percent but that was just those eight o'clock prints apple is actually trading down two percent here this morning which would be apple's biggest fall and i would gather over two months so this is wow for apple this is a big fall and again when you're looking at apple it might even be more than that I don't know when the last time it had a 2% fall. Like we were relentlessly up in November. October had a couple bad days in there. It's probably back to September is really the last time we've had a fall this significant in Apple. So a little head and shoulders there too. Somewhat concerning. You don't want to be early. So we talked about this too. I mean, everybody's hungry to buy the dip. I have a lot of cash I've been sitting on thinking we're going to get a January dip. That is starting to materialize already, but you don't want to be the first one jumping in. What I like to do is, you know, buy the strength after you see the weakness, I just, you know, it, it's too early here to just say, oh, this is, you know, 2%. This is a sell-off. Let's all jump in. Yeah, and the downgrade, uh, the analyst is citing weakness in the iPhone sales. Uh, and we kind of talked about this last week, Dennis, where, you know, is it is it possible, uh, or maybe it was a couple weeks ago at this point, but it was, I mean, like Apple, the, the big criticism on Apple really for the past decade has been, okay, there's, you know, they sell a lot of phones and, and MacBooks and AirPods and whatever, but where's the growth, right? They're not yes. putting out any brand new products that's driving crazy no gr growth or whatever. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I guess I, I just want to wait and see because I've 
I've, I've personally, I mean, this is just all anecdotal. I've heard of a lot of new people going out and getting an iPhone, which I actually was surprised by because I never saw anything about the new iPhone that made me think, oh my God, I want to go rush out and get this. But I did have a lot of friends that went and returned their phones, got new ones. Uh, my other, my other good Aaron here at Benzinga, Aaron Thomas got the new one. So it's, I don't know. Like I, I think, you know, sometimes there's these overreactions where if in the first month, the new iPhone isn't looking like great sales and then the, you know, the stock will take a hit. And then over time it's like, Oh no, Apple does what Apple does. And it ends up selling a lot of products, but um, you know, specifically Apple's been reliant on a lot of, of growth in China and, and different parts of the world. So um, clearly the market's not thrilled about what's going on. You can see right here in the daily chart, going from $200 down to 188 like you mentioned Dennis uh today trading down more than 2% before the market from what i can tell you got to go back to october 26th to find uh, another day when apple closed down on that day it closed down uh 2.46% so uh, i mean this would be if there's one thing i was like you know glued to my screen watching it it'd be apple because if this continues to sell off I mean, if apple goes to down three three and a half percent it'll be like i, I mean i don't want to make too big of a deal out of it because it's just the first day of the year yeah but it's not a great it's not definitely not a great way to this is a weak start it's a good point it's a weak start i mean the apple downgrade is hitting but it's not just apple here it's the broad market microsoft is trading down three points here like we're going through tesla's getting is weak here it's down one percent here this morning um craig johnson was concerned about you know some weakness in potentially the magnificent seven and then obviously um coming into you know looking that he thought there was gonna be an iwm catch-up trade this year that's kind of happening a bit this morning usually iwm with the higher beta names is usually weaker than the overall market that is not the case so far this morning but it's still down significantly too so if i'm just looking at my overall screen it is a sell everything market here right now except oil and maybe we should move into oil because there is news there driving the bus. And again, we saw this, you know, for the back part of the year when oil rallied, stocks got hit. And we know oil has been weak, really. You know, oil has been weak the whole back half of 2023. Oil was fairly weak, topped out. And we're talking about maybe, you know, September. So the last quarter, last quarter, last four months of the year, oil week. Getting a pop here. What is the news here? Driving the bus, what we're driving the tankers, should we say? Uh, so that oil is trading up here this morning, AB. Yeah, so oil prices are on the rise after Iran dispatched a warship to the Red Sea as the situation uh, remains tense in the critical waterway for global shipments. Um, basically, there were some, uh, you know, kind of attacks, I guess, in the sea. And some companies, some, some of the biggest you know, petroleum shippers in the world were, were kind of avoiding this. So I think there's just a lot of tension and a lot of fears that there could be some supply issues. So uh, crude, the crude benchmark Brent jumped 2.5% to nearly 80 uh, to $79 a barrel. Uh, while the, while the U S WTI gained two and a half percent to about $73 a barrel. So it could be some of that just like, you know, uh, ro you know, rotation going, you know, into energy, out of tech today, you know, some people mm -hmm. might, which I wouldn't be that surprised if that's kind of what the market, you know, what people are doing in the first couple of weeks of the year, because I think with the incredible run that we've gotten, and like you mentioned, not just in the Magnificent Seven, which has gotten the most attention, but also the IWM and a lot of these smaller growth stocks, with the growth that we've gotten in those stocks, it wouldn't shock me if investors are like, okay, hey, we've made a lot of money on you know, these Asanas and upstarts and NVIDIAs. Now let's buy some value stocks that are, you know, beaten down. So 
it'll be interesting to just watch the next couple couple weeks. But yeah, oil having a great morning, up 2.3%. The USO is, you can see here. Uh, we can look at some individual names. Chevron uh, trading higher. Exxon Mobil trading higher as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, every, all of them are up. And But uh, Dennis, I, I mean, you, you said basically it's just oil. There's one other thing holding up too this morning. Oh, yeah. And, and it's a little Say bit it. a little bit different. Bitcoin, which crossed yeah. $45,000. Uh, was this our first breach of 45000 since the big sell-off? It's a sell huge rally in this morning in Bitcoin. And yeah. I think with the Bitcoin, I think obviously there's rumors the ETF is going to get approved. So this is going to be this talk for the Bitcoiners and the hodlers, if you will. In January, we're talking about the SEC potentially approving a Bitcoin ETF. That has been talked about. I saw it multiple times on the weekend. People are talking. They think it might happen this week. Um, I don't know if it's going to happen this week. I don't know if it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. But I think we're going to get some news on this front shortly. And I do think that crypto is running ahead of that news. It was uh, some profit taking in some of the Bitcoin names last week. Coinbase had a rough day on Friday. Then he had Mara, and Mara really got hit. I mean, that thing was down like 20%. So it gave back almost like half of its run in like one day. It was really like impressive sell-off. It is bouncing here this morning too. Remember though, remember that, you know, you had a lot of weakness in these crypto names on Friday. So now you're going to have those people probably that were caught saying, oh, thank you for giving my money back. So you do have some overhead supply issues in these crypto names but bitcoin's having a hell of a move here this morning yeah and obviously a lot of the uh the, the crypto stocks whether you're looking at coinbase mara digital etc all trading up, up higher yeah. uh dennis so uh, last year in 2023 coinbase's stock what, what do you think it went up on the year it had a huge last quarter um, and it wasn't probably up much going into the last quarter but man did it ever run well I don't know. What was it up? It was. It had to be up a couple hundred percent. It was up 417%, oh, 417%, which you're right that most of the growth happened in the last quarter. But even, I mean, the stock opened the year at $33. Yeah. Is, is that like split adjusted? Did it really get down that low? I don't even remember. No, it got it. down a long ways. And you think about this all-time high of $429, and you think, wow, you know, it got down to 34 You think it's never getting back up there. Well, wow, what a year to get a lot of those losses back. Yeah, I just so wonder if this, you know, crypto event, you know, if the ETF gets approved, it's going to run up into it. You wonder if this isn't like a buy the rumor sell uh, the news I, thing. I, so you just got to be careful, just blindly chasing it. I think. Um, I hope. I, I, I know. I I think it a hundred percent is, but I almost that almost makes me feel like it's a, like too obvious of a sell the news. I think there might be a lot of people Maybe. out there trying to short it right when it happen, right when that happens, thinking, okay, yeah. there's been all this, there's been all this anticipation, all this bullish sentiment around Bitcoin getting approved in these ETFs, but it's like, what is that doesn't change the value of the underlying i'm not gonna you know i guess it does i mean access a lot more people will probably be able to to invest in it um but but my question dennis so bitcoin itself was up about 170 percent last year coinbase was up 470 percent, so more than double bitcoin at this point would you rather be trading the the, the coin itself or these stocks that are kind of uh you know related to it because it seems like at least in a bull market that some of these stocks are outperforming the Bitcoin itself. They do. 
and the beta on these things are higher. And today you are not seeing that. You know, you think when they get a Bitcoin rally up six, seven, eight percent or whatever it is this morning, you think all these you know miners are going to be up 20, 30 percent. Again, being held down a little bit, I think, this morning because they had so much weakness on Friday. And you have people coming in saying, thank you for giving my money back. I'm coming back. Riot's up 10%. Mara is up 12%. High blockchain up 11%. HIVE Coinbase lagging significantly, only up 2% here this morning. MSTR is up 7% here this morning. So you are seeing significant moves higher, but giving it context, you got Bitcoin breaking out basically to new highs here right now. And a lot of these miners are not getting back to where they were just last week. So there's a little catch up, um, you know, that, that you'd think would happen here. But I think with Friday's weakness, I think maybe the profit taking maybe keeps here. You know, if anybody bought the dip on Friday or maybe you've got people who were sitting and really got crushed on Friday saying, well, I just got, you know, getting back up near these highs. I'm going to sell, too. I just think there's some overhead supply in some of these crypto um, miners. Now, again, with Bitcoin breaking out, it doesn't look like any overhead supply here either. I am a fan. I own some Bitcoin. So, um, you know, years ago you asked me and I was like, no, nah, I'm not into this Bitcoin thing. But I've been holding some Bitcoin for a long time now. Um, not a huge portion, but just, you know, thinking that it just wasn't going away. I've gave them this argument on the show. People have been saying, oh, we'll just forget about Bitcoin. It's just a fad. It's going to go away eventually. Well, it's a lot of years now. We're talking about eight, nine, ten years. If it was a fad, I think it would have gone away a long time ago. Now, I'm not saying take sell all your cash, put it all in Bitcoin. I'm just saying. Maybe from a diversification perspective, maybe it's not a bad idea to own a little bit. Yep. Uh, and, you know, I my thing with the whole Bitcoin approval, you know, it's, it's just with Bitcoin, every time there's these big rallies, Dennis, it's, it's kind of, you know, it, it's like it's it's everyone's own interpretation of of what's going on because there's not really a lot of fundamentals here. There's not really a lot of news. So, so when it's up, you know, twenty, you know, twenty percent, and they're saying, okay, it's because of the the spot Bitcoin approval uh, ETF. Okay, fine, I get that. But then it goes yep. up another fifty percent, and they're still talking about the same thing. It's like, how much can we squeeze out of this one bullish? Which, again, admittedly, it is probably a very bull, bullish thing. It's, it's a big, huge. I mean, if they get a Bitcoin, it is it is huge because you have all you know all these other investors coming in. I mean. Do we have Bitcoin ETFs? Well, we have Bitcoin like BITO, the Bitcoin strategy ETF. What is the difference for people who don't follow it? Well, they would actually be able to hold the Bitcoin itself where they're holding, you know, they're holding Bitcoin, but this would actually trade. If you had an ETF, it would actually trace right off of the price it's as a opposed spot. to just buying a whole bunch of Bitcoin near the company or just buying a bunch trying to trace it. It actually would follow the price of Bitcoin directly as opposed to it. And these things do a pretty good job. And in Canada, we've had Bitcoin ETFs here for a while too. I think it's inevitable that the Bitcoin ETF is eventually going to get approved. Is it coming this week? The crypto people think so. I don't know. I, I don't have an SEC insider telling me it's coming this week, but I think that there's the potential that it's going to get approved soon. And that could be, and that is why we're lifting here this morning on that speculation the question just again is, you know, does this, you know, is this the buy the rumor, sell the news? That is to be determined. So not a, not a crypto complete show here, though. There's so many other stocks just moving. I mean, we got to give some picks. We got to give some ideas, you know, and, and, and here we are, you know, we come in. We've been expecting a bit of a pullback in January. You get the early pullback here. AB, what do you think? I mean, you're, you know, you're getting here. You get down and dirty sometimes, too. What do you think for 2024? Are you bullish 2024? I mean, it was a hell of a year in 2023. Let's just sit back, take it, you know, just, you know, for a second here and look at the big picture. 
Do we think 2024 is going to be a repeat of 2023 where we're going to have the NASDAQ just ripping higher AI story driving the bus? You know, maybe the comeback in the IWM continues. What are your thoughts for 2024? Well, Dennis, I was bullish going into the new year. <laughs> Until today. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, I, and, and I reserve my my right to change my mind. But, uh, you know, I don't want to overreact. But, uh, you know, I mean, no, it, it is obviously if you're bullish, not what you want to see. But look, I mean, it's it's any time we have a huge rally like this, uh, you know, it, it so here's the thing. If I, if I was bullish, which I was going into this big rally, and then we get the rally, it's not really going to change my bullish sentiment. If anything, it, it confirms it and says, okay, you were right to be bullish. Uh, you, you know, and I had my own, you know, ideas on that. Basically, inflation was going to keep falling. I think rate cuts were, you know, going to come, and that in the market ended up agreeing. And then now that you're seeing this sell off, it's not like I, you know, I ditched that whole thing, but I do think. Hey, could we see, you know, a five, 10 percent, you know, pullback, whatever from here and then maybe start moving back up? Yeah, 100 percent. So I'd say short term, Dennis, I'm neutral to maybe slightly bearish, whereas still long term, like if I had to bet you right now, do I think we end the year higher than we are right now? I would still say yes. Uh, obviously there's a lot that can ha change and yes. happen between January 2nd and December 31st of 2024. Um, but right now, I mean, like I wouldn't really be chasing any of these magnificent sevens up here. I wouldn't say, Oh my God, this is, you know, Apple's down 2% today. This is a buying opportunity, which I have said before any major pullback on Apple is, is a buying opportunity. And that's that you don't really need to overthink it, but I, I would like to wait this one out a little bit just to see if there aren't some bigger, kind of, ma you know, macro things that are going to happen and uh, big sell-offs that Apple could get caught up in. Uh, you know, NVIDIA, like all these things, Stiefel just named NVIDIA top idea for 2024. But like, would I really be buying this up here at $500 a share knowing that- I think you need a pullback. Yeah, I mean, like, so I think, you know, again, I think just, I, I want to let this kind of churn out. I want to see how this all plays out the next yeah. week or so. Um, but I'm not, I, I, no, I'm not really deterred from thinking, oh my God, you know, 2024, the, uh, the sky is falling. Although, I mean, I, I, I'd like to look at some of the historical data. Just anytime you see a market up that much, what we got in 2023, I mentioned earlier, I mean, NASDAQ composite up 44%. You can't Hard do to that. follow that up. Hard to go that. back you to back. do that every year. You can't have the S&P 500 go up. They 25%. don't go up 40% a year, folks. No. They don't go up 40% a year. AB, I mean, we look here, and I think this market, I think I think it sets up still well for 2024. So my thoughts overall, and you know, I've been saying this. I think we see weakness. I've been saying this for a couple weeks. I think we see early weakness in January. I think we do get this pullback of five to ten percent. Everybody's like, "Oh my gosh, I can't stomach five to ten percent." If you can't stomach five to ten percent, you shouldn't be investing in stocks because those pullbacks happen multiple times a year of five to ten percent. It just sets up. There's two, we've been too bullish. It's been too easy for the bulls here for two months. Now the seasonality comes into play, and I cannot believe it's working this much like clockwork. But you know, we anticipate, I tweeted it out on Friday, I believe. I said I expect a January, early January rug pull. That's already starting. Um, I just don't think you're gonna have everybody. I think you could get this dip early bought because people are like, oh, this is the dip. This is it. You know, this one percent dip in the market, this is it. So you might get a little pop up and then I think there's going to be some follow through selling. I don't think the selling is done here. I don't think this is just like one and done. 
We get the 1% pullback on day one, and then we just go up 40% for the rest of the year. I do think we're going to be up on 2024. I don't think we're going to have a down year. I don't think we have a recession coming anymore. I thought that a couple months ago, but what has changed my mind again is the Powell, the Powell, because he has talked about cutting rates, even though the data isn't showing that he needs to cut rates yet. So, I mean, he's trying to stay ahead of it. We're in a, we're in an election year. That usually means, you know, they want to keep the market strong as well. And what does Powell have? A whole bunch of bullets in his chamber, just meaning he can lower. If we start to show any weakness, just do an emergency rate cut of 50 basis points. And then, bang, we start going up. So, I mean, there's so much ammo the Fed has now. It's hard to be bearish when the market's at all-time highs and interest rates are this high. They can just start cutting rates. They cut a little bit faster than what was anticipated. And this market just rips on it. So, hard to fight the Fed. If the Fed is going to support the markets, and they probably will in this election year, it's hard to just say, sell it all. We're giving it all back. Recession is coming. I just don't see that happening. But what I do see happening is early year profit taking, which is exactly what we're getting here today. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there are still a lot of analysts that are very bullish going into 2024 for the same reasons you mentioned. I'll pull up an article here that we posted. Uh, uh, Fund Strats Tom Lee predicts 30% surge in stock market in 2024 amid expectations of Fed rate cut and sharp decline in inflation. So, Still got some bulls out there. I wonder, you know, I mean. He's Tom- always bullish. Tom Lee has never been bearish. Yeah, so, Tom- you know, you take that. And again, most analysts usually are bullish. So, again, everybody gives Tom Lee credit. He called this market last year. But what they don't say is the year before he called for a huge rally, too. And he was very wrong. The market sold off significantly. So, he just stuck to his guns. If you stay bullish long enough, you eventually will be <laughs> right because these markets drip higher over time. Right. So, you know, that's the analyst way. Stay bullish long enough. That's why you never see analysts coming out and putting sell ratings very often because it's hard to be a long-term bear. These are usually 12-month price targets out. And historically, you know, if you're averaging 8% a year in the S&P and you're saying, well, we're going to be down this year, you are fighting the trend. So that's why analysts usually are always bullish. And, and also the conflicts of interest. I mean, some of these analysts work with companies. They got their, you know, they got other you know, parts of the company that might do underwriting or do other deals with these companies. So they've got an obligation really to just be bullish overall. So that's why when you do see calls like out of Barclays here today, which put a sell rating on Apple, I mean, that is going to get some headlines. People are going to be talking about that all day today. Apple downgraded to underweight, just to reiterate, 160 price target from Barclays. Yeah, even the downgrade, like you mentioned, like where analysts are typically bullish, I mean, I think they lowered their price target. Barclays lowered the price target from 161 to 160. So it's like even the even the bearish ones, they don't want to go too hard and say, okay, sell, we're going to cut our price target by 20%. It's kind of like a, a little, you know, just, hey, a little warning. This might be a little weaker than we expected. So uh, definitely something to keep watching here. Apple now down 2.38% pre-market. Um, one thing I think, Dennis, like, you know, mentioning, which I'm in agreement with you that I, I don't necessarily think this is just like going to be a one day sell off. I think you might see some profit taking and, and kind of a sustained sell off for the next maybe you sure. know week or so. Who knows? I'm not going to predict a timeline, but just not just one day, you know, might go on for a second. While all the attention is on the Magnificent Seven, I think it will be worth watching uh, these small caps to see how they trade and not just, you know, the IWM overall, but specifically these like 
small cap growth techie stocks like the Kathy Wood stocks. Cause these, yeah. I mean, you look at like upstart holdings uh, chart and the past few months, we're looking at the daily chart here. This thing yeah. went from, uh, uh, hold on one sec. This thing went from like $20 in November at the beginning of November. This is not that long ago, right? We're talking about like Two thanks, months ago, Thanksgiving time, right? I know it feels like a long time because you had Thanksgiving, you had Christmas, you had New Year's, we had all this stuff, but it wasn't that long ago. Two months ago, this thing was at $20. Then it goes up to 50 and then you had this huge sell off to 40. And the reason I think it's important to keep watching these, because if these things keep selling off, I think that shows you that a lot of investors and, and institutions are just like they might be buying the Magnificent Seven because they're safer, because they're worried about the market, whereas they're selling these because they're not as bullish. They're not willing to take on as much speculation and they're trying to go more risk off. So if I start to see these perk back up, then I might be like, OK, OK, now, you know, the markets, uh, you, you know, we're getting some buying activity again. And um, but again, I, I wouldn't I, I just think that you might see a lot of these Magnificent Seven stocks hold up. Um, even if we see some sort of uh, of a bigger sell off, so I'm I'm gonna be watching these as kind of like I, I think these might be leader like show you uh, like leading indicators of what's going on to the overall market and give you insight into what the overall you know appetite for risk and speculation is right now. Oh, Kathy is totally ARKK. Just bring up that that's totally an indicator for speculation and risk because we know she buys the riskiest stocks and she's all in on you know on disruption disruptive technology she's all in she doesn't it's growth at any cost she buys the highest growth companies and she doesn't care what she pays she says she cares what she pays but she doesn't and you know that strategy in the long run has not worked you know kathy has massively underperformed the queues but in the last couple of months when the bulls start coming in it's the best thing known when that bull market starts ripping because you can see arkk up from 33 dollars um just in november to $52 here at the end of the year. So it was a hell of a run for her. Now, is there some profit taking there too? Yeah, we're seeing there today. Is there people who are going to come in and buy the dip here today? I think so. But I do think if we get, so just talking with the day trading cap here on, again, long-term investing by good companies and reasonable valuations, I still think that we're higher by the end of the year. I don't think we're having a 40% up here on the NASDAQ, but I think we can be higher. I think, you know, if you're getting your 15 to 20% of the NASDAQ, you're doing pretty good after last year. But I think there's going to be some buying the dip here coming in too quick here. So day trading cap is any rally that we get today, I think is going to be met with more sellers. So I do think early on, people will be like, this is the dip I'm waiting for. I'm moving some of this cash in. I think we could actually pop up a little bit. That would be a selling opportunity in my opinion. So I'm not looking at buying the dip here, but I'm looking at any rip to sell. So if we can get back up, maybe we rally you know, 20 handles off the bat in the S&P. I'll be looking for those as shorting opportunities. Because I do think it's a calendar turn. I do think there's going to be follow through this January effect. I do think we could get a five to ten percent pullback here in the S and P early, and that's going to spook a lot of people. That's going to be like people throwing in the towel, and that's going to be where the opportunity lies. Because still remember, the Fed is apparently on your side now. They were against you big time in 2022, against you in 2023, and the market just rallied up anyways. While in 2024, the Fed is probably going to be working with you. So it's hard to just put on this perma bear hat and say the end of the world's coming. Everybody's going to recession. So I think you need to be looking you know, at long-term opportunities. But I don't want to be the first one buying the dip here. I think this isn't a big enough dip yet. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we mentioned with, uh, you know, Kathy Wood, ARKK being a clear uh you know, kind of kind of shows you what the what the appetite is for speculation and risk out there. 
Um, but I think Bitcoin does that pretty well too. And at least, I mean, if Bitcoin keeps holding up, shows you that that there's people out there that aren't scared. Because certainly if people are scared, Bitcoin, at least to me, if I'm really scared of what's going on with the market uh, and macro stuff, Bitcoin's probably like one of the worst or one of the le- uh, last things I'd, I'd want to own. Um, but so, you know, I, 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 I always feel like Bitcoin and, uh, and, and ARKK end up kind of trading together because they're both just, you know, speculation and and risk. Right. Exactly. Um, but uh, you know, we might see some divergence there if, if ARKK and some of these other stocks keep getting hit, uh, and Bitcoin keeps trading higher. So it could just be something to watch. I mean, I'm sure, uh, you know, big crypto bulls would like to see that because I think that's been one of the biggest criticisms over Bitcoin, over the past few years is, hey, this basically just trades with the market, you know, when Bitcoin's down, the S&P is down, you know, vice versa. So uh, yeah. and that was the biggest thing. I mean, when everyone was, you know, saying, oh, go buy, you got to go buy Bitcoin because it's the, it's, you know, inflation, the U.S. dollar is going to be worthless. You got to go buy Bitcoin. And then as inflation goes up, Bitcoin's going down. It's like, wait, I thought this was supposed to be an inflation hedge. And that and that at least didn't end up working out the past couple of years. But uh, again, might start seeing some divergence there between the rest of growth and Bitcoin. Let's check in on how Bitcoin's doing this morning. If it's holding up, let's go to a... Yeah, we're still rallying significantly here on on Bitcoin here. So we're up three... Well, it, it's confusing. Yeah, Bitcoin, we're up 3%. And you do look at the BITO, and I believe it went... Like, it's up 9% here, but I, I don't know what the separation, what the... Oh, it was Bitcoin. It's kind like of... Like, I've got the... I, I don't know why the Bitcoin strategy ETFs up so much. I'm not following the individual story, but it's up much more than Bitcoin here is this morning. So is there an individual story here? I didn't check on BITO exactly because I'm not a huge crypto guy. So BITO appears to be up quite more than the Bitcoin ETF. So somebody in the chat follows BITO. Maybe they can tell us why BITO is trading up so much more than Bitcoin is here this morning. Yeah, I wonder. Well, I'll, I'll look for a headline on that. But yeah. The chat's usually pretty good. Well, I, you know, our or a thousand people here in the chat this morning find that out 1255 people so they they know that kathy added bito is what easy mike's saying but usually it follows the price of bitcoin pretty closely so it does appear that bito is trading up more than bitcoin here this morning so just curious as to what the divergence is but let's move let's keep it going here um we've talked the magnificent seven we've talked oil we've talked crypto what we haven't really done is, is talk is the laggards you know, and we talked about the January effect has two sides where leaders can become laggards, but laggards can actually become leaders here. So just as much as you have that profit taking AB coming in, you know, in January, sometimes you have a relief from tax loss selling coming in in 2020 in the new in the calendar year to turn as well. So stocks that massively underperformed often hold up better in in the first part of january and you know alibaba might be the best example for this one it's kind of come back a little bit here but what a massive underperformer china has been what a massive underperform alibaba has been i'm just looking at my laggards sheet here and i have a bunch of them on there so just you know throwing out the names that i wrote on there alibaba is on there pfizer has been a massive laggard i wonder if it doesn't hold up a little bit better especially if we start to go risk off because more of a defensive name Another one that I've got on there, I have the oil stocks on there. They're already ripping here this morning. I put the pot stocks on there because they really haven't participated in the rally. And you wonder if you don't get that early relief, maybe where you get a little bit of buying coming in here in early 2024, speculation, you know, comes in, you know, maybe some of this, you know, um, that money Mitch was talking about, some of this regulation, maybe we get some, you know, where it's less regulatory, where, you know, obviously crypto or obviously Bitcoin, 
uh, obviously Bitcoin, obviously it's pot stocks in some of these other states might, you know, get legalized. You know, we're talking about all that stuff. So I think there's a story here for pot stocks here too. That's why I put them on my list for potential setups in early 2024. Um, just continuing down that list. I mean, PayPal was a massive laggard. You wonder if that one can't, you know, maybe hold up a little bit better. House of Mouse Disney has just been a disaster. So just talking with the trading hat on, maybe some of these names, maybe get a lift early January. If you think if you think the leadership is changing over, sometimes it's the laggards that pick up the slack. Yeah, we can add Moderna to the list, which also caught uh, an upgrade. I mean, Moderna, Pfizer, like you, you mentioned, kind of been trading yeah. together, not really doing much. But I'm glad you had a list, Dennis, because... Laggards have been hard to find the past few months. But, uh... they're, they're li it's limited. This yeah. <laughs> list is limited because there has been so many, so many stocks that have come back. If you would have put the laggard list together at the end of October, you had about, you know, out of the S&P 500, you probably had 300 companies that were lagging. That is not the case. And the easiest way to tell is the RSP because it's the equal weight S&P 500. Same 500 names in there. But they're equal weight. So we don't have that 6% weighting in Apple and 6% weighting in Microsoft. They're all just given equal weight here. So if you look at the RSP, it was sitting near a 52-week low in October. And then boom, boom, just like that from, you know, piss to bless, for lack of a better word. We're talking about, you know, getting all of the losses back from 2023. And then obviously closing near the all-time, well, not all-time highs, but not too far from all-time highs. All-time high set back in 2022 at 164, within striking distance at 157. So that catch-up trade in the smaller names has started to catch on in the last couple of months. The question is, does that continue? I think it does. I think you've got to still have your shopping list. So, you know, we're giving you some names, you know, that could potentially move in early January just because they didn't participate. And sometimes the stocks don't participate, start to participate in January. But I think you still got to have your shopping list ready here because I still think it's going to be an okay year for stocks. But I do think more weaknesses in store in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And we talked about Baba a couple of weeks ago, Dennis, where this could is either setting up for like the biggest value trap of all time or is just like an obvious buy down here. I know. I, it's And it's hard. I mean, I, I actually am holding some Baba in my Roth because I'm like, hey, I, I got a long time horizon. My big thesis with, with Baba and, and, you know, obviously there's a lot of risk with Chinese names and a lot of, yeah. uh, a lot of yeah. investors that are worried and don't want to hold them. My thing is at the end of the day, China is still the United States' biggest business partner. If there's some massive fallout that is going to like kill our, our business relationship with China, everything's going to get crushed. It's not just going to be the Chinese name. So it's like, and now I'm always going to bet against those huge, uh, you, you know, type of events that would be like, oh, the U.S. and China not going to war together, you know, literally, but figuratively going to war together and not doing business anymore. And I think we've, you've already seen kind of some walking back of that over the past like year or so, whether it's Biden meeting with Xi and having these like business discussions. But I just don't think really that business relationship is going to deteriorate to the point where these names won't, you know, and, and, and outside of that, there are some other risks too, whether you're looking at, you know, just the Chinese economy right now and did it grow <laughs> too much too fast and all these different things. So I'm not trying to say it's just, as easy as buy it and you, we're still going to be doing business with China because there's obviously other things going on. But I still think at the end of the day, I'm going to bet against this huge event of, you know, a fallout or China invading Taiwan and saying, hey, I think the what's been what the status quo has been is probably going to continue that way 
until I until I you know until I see some evidence that really points me that to believe otherwise. Um, so I don't mind taking a stab at Baba down here, but I kind of treat it like a call option almost, where I'm like, hey, this thing's either going to be up 150% in two years from now, or mm. I'm going to look kind of dumb on it and lose some money, but I'm okay with that. I do it all the time. I'll say that Alibaba has been the biggest value trap probably out there. And again, the reason that value trap continues is the unknown about what she is thinking. Is he going to invade Taiwan? You know, a lot of people think eventually he does. And we know that day when that happens, all these Chinese stocks collapse. Now, I think the reason that hasn't happened to materialize is he does respect the relationships that he does have with the rest of the world. And he doesn't want to see China become like Russia, where we just, you know, all of a sudden, you know, boycott everything. And I don't think it's even possible for us to do that because we get so much more from China and we don't get that much from Russia oil. I mean, so it, it would not be easy for the world to do. But he doesn't want to take the chance that all of a sudden, you know, people are boycotting buying Chinese goods because, you know, they've started this war with Taiwan. So he's walking a very fine line. Do they want Taiwan back? They said eventually he wants Taiwan back in. Would they want it done in a peaceful way? Yeah, possible. But I don't think that is possible. It's a free country. So, I mean, there's a lot of balls to juggle when you're talking about geopolitical risk. We've talked about this risk being out there for a long time. Nothing has materialized. But the one thing that has happened is even though nothing has materialized, China has continued to start keep going down. The FXI, unlike all the other markets, is not far from 52-week lows. That is somewhat concerning, you know, that we come in, 2282 was the 52-week low. I mean, there is not a lot of things at 52-week low. So if you want the ultimate laggard trade, it would be probably China would be the ultimate laggard trade. Yeah, and I, I think... I, go, go ahead, sorry. I was going to say, you got to have some risk appetite to be able to say you're going to buy these names because they're obviously not going to be as as safe as, you know, your Magnificent 7 or buying S&P 500 or buying oil stocks or value st American oil stocks or whatever it is. But if you're really out there on the hunt for these laggards like Dennis and I are talking about, I mean, it, it, look, I mean, wh whenever you're going against the market, a lot of people are probably call you crazy right if three months ago you were buying some of these arkk stocks when that when those things were getting hammered people would be like what are you doing or if you were buying crypto at the beginning of the year and then you get rewarded for it sometimes or you get burned by it um but uh, you know so you know these aren't things to touch unless you're willing to take on uh every stock has risk every stock has inherent risk they're inherently speculative assets for a reason um but when you're talking about these a little bit more so, but I, you know, like I said, Dennis, I, I already, I already did it. I, it's already in my raw. So I, I you know, um, I, I'm just kind of hoping and praying at this point. I don't really have any other huge, I'm not going to try to give some big bullish argument other than I just think it's undervalued. And I think over time, you know, things will end up being okay with our relationship, which I'm not going to say, oh my God, we're going to be, you know, the best buddy, buddy. We're going to be, it's going to be us and China, the, you know, the closest allies in the world. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I think we're still going to be doing business with them, you know, 15 years from now. Tesla deliveries just came out here. We've been waiting for them in the morning. So Tesla stock has just ripped higher here. Got all the losses back. Just touched green. Um, trying to touch green here right now. We can get those numbers for you. It looks like they delivered 484,000 vehicles in Q4. Expectations were for 483,000. So that is a slight beat. Um, which, um, which, which is good news for the Tesla bulls here. Um, the tough news is we still have the seasonality play. Tesla had a pretty good year. 
I do think a, a couple days of weakness probably equals some selling on this rip here. So I don't think I'm chasing it here. We just ripped six bucks here on Tesla on these delivery numbers. That's good news. But I just think I'd be cautious chasing this uh, pop up here this morning. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to, I think, be buying Tesla if you're also fearful of some sort of overall weakness, especially weakness in tech. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tesla, like Tesla does what it does and it just continues to report good numbers and beat expectations when a lot of people doubt it. Oh, it looks like it's ripping you know, pretty. Uh, ripping. It's hard. It's ripping hard. It's here not right ripping now. hard now. Yeah, bring up the chart here. Bring up the chart so you can just show where we were trading before this delivery number. Yeah, and we're on where a two, we are two minute, two minute here. So here's the sell off where Tesla was selling off with this Apple morning. and everything else. Yep, this morning, uh, at like six a.m. this morning. So for the past couple hours, we were trading down here at around two forty-five and a half, and then boom, all the way up to two fifty. So a uh, huge route. I mean, we're on the two minute uh, candles here, and you can just see. I mean, this is continuing and to go repping. higher. Um, which, hey, I mean, look, if you're you're bullet, you know, this is great news for you if you're bullish Tesla. But yeah, it's like it kind of reminds me of how Apple used to just beat earnings every single cycle. It's like I feel like every single time there's a deliveries number to be, you know, made or uh, whatever it is, Tesla beats it. All right, coming back down a little bit now. Uh, went, you know, so we'll just let me zoom in on here and we can just keep watching the movement on this candle. Yeah, this is uh, the stock that's moving here in the last few minutes. I mean, we don't have a lot of in, of news here on the docket, not a lot of companies reporting. We got Walgreens later this week, I believe, reporting here. Um, I got Constellation Brands is going to report later this week. I mean, that we're reaching to find anything that's going to really move the market. None of those are going to move the market, but Tesla will. So I think you're actually seeing, you know, the QQQ pop up a little bit here too, but again. I think this rally is going to be short-lived. I don't think we're going to strip her 255, 260 here. This is January now. There's people sitting on some profits. Probably people looking this morning and saying, oh, I wish I would have sold my Tesla. It's down three, four bucks here already this morning. Now it gets all those losses back. I think people who maybe bought this at 255, 260 last week are, are maybe potential sellers too. So I think you have an overhead supply issue here. I don't think Tesla's going to hold green, just my prediction. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's it's hard with Tesla because any any slight bullish news and this thing can run and then it can keep running and you never know. I mean, it's like Bitcoin. It's like when the rally's going, I'm you're just kind of along for the ride. Yeah, I'm not calling any tops in a, in a rally on Tesla or Bitcoin. I've learned my lesson. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I also think with this news, you got to look at what the underlying you know fundamental headline is here, and it's that they beat deliveries by what a thousand cars. That's not you know it's not yeah. to, to me that's to <laughs> me that's not to me that's not something that's saying hey this thing should be trading up five percent. But I guess hey you know I mean it's again it's Tesla you never but maybe we're... expectations are going to be lower. You know maybe we're everybody has been concerned about potential recession. I've been concerned about big ticket stuff, so maybe expectations are a little bit lower, and you get that relief. Yeah, here, ex but... ex exactly. It's all about the you know relative, but you know you can see here the two minute candle dennis you pretty much you know might hit the nail on the head there where there are some people using that as an opportunity do you remember uh this was i mean this was probably like a year and a half ago it might have been in the midst of like the bull market but tesla announced a deal with hertz to sell like a billion dollars worth of rental cars and the stock that. went up a hundred billion dollars in market cap i was like wait a second they announced a deal that's going to bring in an extra hundred not even bring in an extra hundred billion because that's not how much actually the yeah. you know, profit they're making but yeah. the headline, you know, then the stock just rallied a hundred billion dollars off this headline. I'm like, okay, you know, and it's just all these, you know, you you have to have, you have to understand with Tesla and all these other stocks. There's a lot of detachment from, okay, this, you know, what can happen? But 
uh, wow. I mean, this is a, you know, so that that's, I think that's kind of telling uh, that this is selling off now that, you know, maybe that there's just not as much appetite right now. Maybe the people are saying, hey, if if the queues are going to be weak, if Tesla, you know, then that means Tesla might be weak too. So let's take this as a selling opportunity. But, um, you know. You could get the CNBC pop back here right now. They're breaking news. We know they break at least five minutes after we break it. So Tesla delivery is just coming on right now. Phil LeBeau is talking about the beat here. So sometimes it's funny. You'll see the pop. And then you'll see the drop and then you get the CNBC news and the CNBC news pops it up again here. So, you know, and then the masses because, you know, they're, the CNBC has got a lot of eyeballs on it. But then usually the leak after. So a lot of times when, you know, I've screwed up before where I bought news AB where I buy something and then it starts to leak on me. And I was like, well, wait a second. CNBC will probably announce it in a few minutes. And they pop it and it gets you out of a bad trade sometimes, too. So keep that in mind that the, usually the CNBC pop happens, you know, a few minutes after the news breaks because their breaking news is never breaking news. Yep. Um, Lombardo in the chat said it's only one day, guys. Look, I know I'm not I'm not I'm not going to overreact. I'm just saying that we you know, it, it looks like if I mean, when the queues sell off like more than a percent, it is, you know, significant a lot of the times. And so I'm more. Look, I'm not as worried about today's price action. I mean, we could close down one and a half, two percent on the queues, and I'd still say, hey, you know, get it, get a grip. Look, we're we're still near all time highs. I'm yeah. more concerned about the follow through from this. If we sell yeah. off again tomorrow and again on Wednesday, or where we end up this week, because if you know, we're looking to get this queues chart right now, we're at four oh four oh five. Uh, you know, basically on the dot right now, four oh five. If we end up like you know, down in, in the 390 at 390, you know, whatever it is at the end of the week, then I'm, that'll be more concerning for me. If we, you know, bounce right back tomorrow, then okay, then maybe that was just a one day sell off. Maybe we just needed to uh, digest some of these downgrades and, and all these things. But, um, you know, again, so I'm not worried about today's price action necessarily, but it's about, you know, the follow through uh, and how we're going to be looking uh, the rest of the week, which, hey, we'll be here every morning this week. So if you guys, you know, you guys know, and, you guys know where to go. And as traders, I keep saying it. You're, if you're in a long-term investor, you buy good companies at reasonable valuations and you buy dips. If you're a trader, it is your obligation to change your mind. No, it's not like I stick to my guns. I'm a trader and this is my opinion. No. I mean, as a trader, you have to flip. This is how you stay in business because as new information comes into the market, you have to change your mind. People on the show will hold me to something I said a year ago. You know, they'll hold me to something because you said it here. Here's your tweet, Dennis. You said this nine months ago and the stock's gone straight up. And, you know, and sometimes you're just wrong. You know, sometimes I've just got it wrong. I wish it could be right 100% of the time. You know, right 100% of the time, I'd have all the money in the world, though. So, I mean, that is, you know, uh, not going to be the case. And just traders, you're trying to be right 52, 53, 55, maybe 60% of the time if you're really, you know, making good calls. But you've got to change your mind when you're wrong. And, you know, and I've been wrong. I've been wrong. I was wrong to stay as bearish as I did in early 2023. I was wrong because, you know, I missed a lot of that long-term rally in my long-term portfolio. So, I, you know, and I, I've been, I was predicting for a long time that we're going to go into a recession. When Fed Powell, Chair Powell, came out a month ago and talked about lowering rates without the data, to, to, to he's all of a sudden begun into the prediction business. And that's got to make me less bearish. And that made the overall market less bearish. And lucky, you know, we get off that bear train because, you know what, we're up significantly. It was the gap and go on the IWM. It was the gap and go on the S&P. You can see the day. It was back, you know, two weeks, two and a half weeks ago when the IWM had that huge up day. 
So, I mean, you've got to change your mind. You've got to be able to pivot. That's why I continue to listen to the show because what we say and what we you know feel today might be different than what we feel tomorrow, depending on the new information that we get. Where I'm at right now, I'm going to stay at right now. I'm at early January weakness is what I think is going to happen. I don't think it's a one-day event. I think you're going to see some follow-through weakness. But still, I think you've got longer-term buy-the-dip mentality in here. you got the Fed working on your side. I think at the end of 2024, I think we probably will be higher. But that could change. I mean, maybe we go into you know another regional banking crisis. Maybe we go into a geopolitical situation. Maybe we go into something we can't even fathom. So, I mean, there's lots of different things. So as a trader, your obligation is to change your mind. Yeah, and I mean, that was one of the big things that I always hated about the whole, like, when, the, the uh, oh, Kramer is always wrong was, like, the biggest joke on Twitter and everything, which it was yeah. funny when there were certain times where he'd say, I love yeah. this stock, and literally the next day it was down 15% or whatever. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, funny. And it's it funny, funny, like, it's funny when it happens like that, but there was so, but it's like, Look, the guy's on TV every single day every talking day. for, you know, however many hours on multiple shows. Of course, if you want to pick the specific times he was wrong, you can prove it, you know, whatever. But they're not showing times he was right. So it just felt a little unfair to me. But again, it's funny when it happened like so quickly and it'd be like, you know, whatever. But any person out there that speaks on the market, that gives their takes, that's not oh, afraid yeah. to go out on a limb and make predictions oh, yeah. is going to be wrong. You're even, I mean, look, lots even, of times, even Buffett and, uh, and Munger were like bought Baba up at 200 or whatever. And Munger had to, you know, come out and say that was like his worst investment, all this stuff. So I was like, there's no one out there that's going to be getting it right every time. And I was joking earlier about how oh, I was bullish about, you know, going into 2024, but not anymore. But really, I mean, if the next couple, you know, depending on what's going on, like I, 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 am able to change my mind and say, hey, I was really loving the market going into 2024. Not anymore. Uh, I'm not saying that now, actually. I'm, I'm still bold. Like, you, like, I agree with you, Dennis. I still think we end the year higher than we are now. I still think rate cuts are uh, are, are on the table and all these things we're gonna that are going to be helpful. Um, but yeah, I mean, and really being able to change your mind and not being so... Uh, like married to your own idea of what's going to happen is a really yeah. important tool and uh, to have as a trader, I mean, you, I, I look at so many guys that are like perma bears or whatever that have just lost so much money. It's a tough business being a perma bear. <laughs> oh my god! AB, you are fighting long term trends. The perma bear business is a really tough business. So what I talk about, and if you're a perma bear, you're talking long term. What I've always say, I never short stocks in my long term account. One, two is. You know, it, it's hard because you have that natural drift higher. The economy does grow over time. Unless you think the asteroid's coming and going to hammer, you know, us in the Yucatan Peninsula and going to end the world. Even if that happens, what do you have as a perma bear? You got the same thing everybody else has, death. So, I mean, it's just not great to be a perma bear here. So, I think if you're sitting there in long term saying stocks are going lower long term, that's a tough call. I love saying stocks going longer, lower short term when you find these little opportunities, these little, you know, where people weren't looking, you know, maybe, you know, for, you know, reading, you know, what was happening there. I think there's an opportunity there. But I think staying long term bearish is really tough. I think that, you know, overall, it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked for anything. Well, like you said, the market drifts higher over time. And I think almost a lot. I mean, you heard Kenny, we had when we had hit the bid, Kenny Glick on the other day, he talked about it. He was like, I I, I resigned as president from the Perma Bear community because over time, <laughs> like it's it'd be hard. I, I feel like if you stay in the markets long enough, you almost you have like a natural trans transition, you have a natural like growth to be in. 
I don't want to say perma bowl, but understanding that, hey, even when things look like the skies are falling and, oh, my God, everyone's freaking out. Like, if you're in the markets long enough that you know, okay, there's usually there's always a light on the other side and it's always – yeah. Uh, you know, always comes back. There's never been a time, I don't think, in the in the history of the stock market where the S&P 500 hasn't traded up uh, higher than w- within like 10 years of a crash. Uh, I, I might have to fact check that, but I believe that's true. Uh, I think uh, it's 12. It may be 12, 12 from 68 okay. to 80 was really rough. Okay. Um, I'm not. That, that might have just been the Dow as well. So we've have had periods where for 10 years we have been down. I mean, and don't talk to Japan about this because they made their all-time highs back in 1991, I believe. And here we are 32 years later and the Nikkei has never revisited those all-time highs. So maybe not in all markets this doesn't work. I don't think Russia's coming back to all-time highs anytime (laughs) soon. So I mean, but here in North America, we, over the long run, the markets tend to drift higher. The economy tends to grow. The one thing I've argued, and I have argued this, is that you know a lot of the growth over the last 100 years has been from population growth. And if population stops growing, then how does the economy continue to grow? Well, you have to get people to consume more. How do you give them to consume more? You give them more money. You give them more debt. And that's exactly what they've done over the course of the last 25 years to continue you know, the growth rates that you know we've seen with the population growth rate slowing. People consume more than they used to. They have bigger houses, fancier cars, eat out more doing that. So what's the next step? Now, if you've given people and they're all debt laden and the population isn't growing, where does that growth come from for the next 30 years? I don't know if I have the answer to those questions, but we always seem to find a way. So, you know, I thought that, you know, even to the mortgage situation, I thought when we raised up mortgage rates, we raised up interest rates that people are going to be more conservative with their spending. That's not the case. We know in Canada, the way they got around, you know, everybody having variables is they just extended the amortizations of the banks did from 25 to 35 years and everybody can continue to spend like they were. So it's like, you know, financial services seem to find a way to continue to give money to people to continue their uh, spending habits. So it's hard to bet against the North American consumer. Yeah, and that was that's one of Buffett's big rules: just don't bet against the American economy. But that is a good point, Dennis. Right, that if you don't have the population growth, how many? I mean, even if the you know millennial or Gen Z, whatever like the you know generation is that's you know going into their thirties, has a lot more money than the generations before. If they don't have as many kids, it's like how many? What can you? How much? How many houses can you buy? How many cars can you really buy as as two people? Something to think about. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not, you know, that's, that is an interesting take, but yeah, I mean, looking back at the uh, spy daily chart over time, I mean, we had the, from 2000 to 2007, there was basically no growth there. You hit, cause you hit these highs in the dot-com bubble, had the big yeah. crash and it took a while to get back there. And then similarly, you had the big crash in 07 and it took all the way until like 2013 to get back there. Long but, period, six, seven years. Yeah. And I mean, so, but yeah, I mean. And now we're in a two year period. So we have not got back. So we're in a two year period where we have not made new highs. I do believe we're going to make new highs and we're very, I, we're right within striking distance here. I mean, the S&P, I don't know how you can get even any closer. What are we away from all time highs? Going back, seven four seventy nine ninety eight was the SPY high back if you're using SPY. Because sometimes you look at the futures and you got to adjust for, obviously, you know, time value money and stuff in there. But SPY give you a more pure read. Four seventy nine ninety eight. I mean, we are within 2% of all-time highs. So we haven't quite hit all-time highs. So still overall, bears could still argue that, well, we haven't got back to those 2021 highs. But it does feel like we're within striking distance. But the bears got some... You know, something to chew on here today. We do have a sell-off here. We do have the January effect. A little bit of profit taking the leaders here happening here today. So 
we've got to be aware of that. And oil's bouncing here this morning. With oil bouncing, that doesn't seem to be that great news for stocks this morning. So a few things, new things to worry about. But I'm not throwing in the towel here on you know a longer term prediction that the markets are going to be higher over time. But I am thinking that you know my prediction that January could show some weakness is already starting to come to fruition. Yeah, and I think the one thing you know that will keep me bullish until proven otherwise. And again, I'm I'm maintaining my right to change my mind. Yeah. Uh, but my one reason to to you know, I mean, typically, Dennis, when you have rate cuts, they coincide with a major slowdown in the economy, right? The Fed's cutting rates because they need to, or because there's a recession. So if we get a situation where the economy is still holding up but inflation continues to fall and they're able to cut rates. It's hard to imagine that that's not bullish for the economy. Uh, so again, look, look, look at us, Dennis. We're so mature and we're not overreacting and saying, Oh my God, the market's down. We're changing our price prediction for the year. No, still saying we're going to end the year higher. Um, but you know, we might not end the day higher. So I'll, I'll, I'll say that. And, and I've never been great at the prediction business. So, you know, I, have always been a pretty good trader. It's, you know, my livelihood. It's how I've made my entire living in 23 years of professional trading. Actually, I guess I'm going 25 years. Oh my gosh. I've been trading for 25 years. It's 2024. I started professionally at Bright Trade in 1999. In 25 years of professional trading in my day trading account, which was obviously held at Bright Trading for 23 years, now is at IB for the last couple of years. I've never had a down year. I've never had a down year in those 25 years. So that says that I'm a pretty good day trader. Long-term investing, you know, sometimes I think I am too conservative. My probably downfall with long-term investing is I'm very conservative. You know, I've made some pretty good money over the years. I don't want to lose that money. You know, I did live through some periods of 2001 where I watched the market fall 81%. Yes, the S&P fell in 2000 to 2002. I believe the, the S&P fell 81%. So I want to see, you know, if you got 100,000 in stocks that go down to 21, I can't stomach that anymore. I'm not young enough for it anymore. So I'm a little bit more conservative with my investing, which is probably my downfall. Sometimes in these years, like 2023, just throw risk out the window and you're going to have a really good year. I'm a little bit too conservative. I buy income yielding stuff, lower beta names, lower PE names, you know, some high growth. I mix it in there. I got some NVIDIA. I got some SMC. I got some AMD. But overall, probably in my long-term portfolio, I probably, you know, my biggest weakness is I'm too conservative. Yeah, mine might be the exact opposite because I was loading up on my, you know, like 50% of my Roth, Baba, all this stuff. So I just go, you know, I, I like to go, you know, in when I go in. But uh, all right, 9.02 a.m. Dennis, thanks for uh, for joining today. Again, re, uh, you know, just to recap some of the top headlines into the day, you had Barclays downgrade Apple. Apple's getting crushed on that, bringing down the rest of the tech market with it. Uh, Apple's still trading, trading down a little bit more than 2%. Tesla slight beat on deliveries. You saw a, a, a quick pop on the stock and then that sold off. Uh, and then you have oil prices uh, going higher after more tensions rising in the Red Sea and Iranian warship going in there. So uh, something to watch there if oil and stays strong and some of these value stocks could be some rotation continuing out of the growth in tech. Uh, those are your top headlines this morning. Thanks to everyone who tuned in. Dennis, thanks again, man. Thanks, A.B. Great job. All right, well, we'll be back tomorrow, 8 a.m. All right, guys, till then, uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Triple D Trader at Aaron Brief 5. I'll throw those in the chat. Uh, and yeah, thanks again for tuning in. Smash the like, subscribe to the channel if you have not already. We'll be back tomorrow, 8 a.m. sharp every day this week.